That one had some Boom. depth. That was some depth to that open. Heck yeah. Going in. What's what is it tonight? Uh this is a tasty little it's called Hazy Little IPA from Sierra Nevada, which I believe is in Asheville, North Carolina, or somewhere near there. But I like a lot of Sierra Nevada brews. Is it cold in Richmond? It's getting cold here in Louisville. Um, no, I, feel, I think it feels great, honestly. But whatever. It's like it's too 50s. Cold. Yeah, it's like in the 50s. Like it, it, was, it rained all day today. It sucked. I'm down. Well, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Worrell. And we have an awesome guest today, actually, who will let introduce himself here soon. But before we get to that... Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, follow on Facebook and Instagram for updates. Um, check out the reaction videos, check out the clip videos we're uploading on YouTube, all that good stuff. And patreon.com slash agedoutpodcast for any financial support you want to throw our way. And speaking of that kind of thing, if you haven't heard, we've officially partnered with Lone Star Percussion and they've given us a dis- discount code of just aged out. It'll be in the video or podcast description. and it'll No give you, space in between. Yeah, no spaces. Um, and it'll give you $10 off any order of $50 or more. And Evan framed that on our last episode in a way that I hadn't thought about before of basically if you buy three pairs of drumsticks, you're going to be just about 50 bucks. It's like it's almost like a buy two, get one free of marching sticks. So it's pretty sweet deal. Want to save some money, go check them out. LoneStarPercussion.com And... Now that that's out of the way, Evan, you want to take it, and we'll uh, get rolling. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, Mike mentioned uh have an awesome guest today, a dude that really we've just met through passing in the, the small social circle that is the marching arts, the percussion activity, whatever you want to call it, uh, a guy that I've met a couple times in person, uh, just had some conversation with here and there, but just seemed like a super chill, genuine guy. So we were like, heck, yeah, we want to have this guy on. Reached out to him, and he was uh, – gracious enough to join us and spare some time to sit down with us and without further ado uh welcome paul nalesnik did i say that right yes dude. Oh. Nice. I, I, I was actually good. kind of i was actually super worried because i was like <laughs> man usually i ask people to pronounce it before we started but i was like leaning into it and i was like all right we're just going for it normally good people give me nail snick because of the uh the spelling but yeah man thanks so much for having me man i'm stoked yeah i felt like i was gonna lean into like the like the slur of it, not like n- nails, like Nalesnik. I don't know. Just in my head, I was like, that seems more. What? What is that? What? Uh, what's the origin? Uh, it's Polish and okay. a bit French, and actually means crepes. Crepes. I love crepes. Those are like the really thin pancakes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, sir. Shout yeah. out Talladega Nights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, you're up in New Jersey, right? Yes, sir. That's where you're from? Yep. Nice, nice. East Coast, man. I feel like we have so many friends from the East Coast. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the marching community out here, it's very tightly knit. Uh, in terms of, like, the people that actually go on and march, you know, world class, kind of few and far between in my experience. So, um, but yeah. I- I don't know. It seems pretty few and far between here in middle America, Kentucky as well. So I don't know. You can probably, in terms of marching drummers, you can probably count on two hands the number of people that have marched in a top 12 drum line in the past decade. Yeah. In the from Kentucky, from Kentucky. Yeah. 
doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, uh, you've got obviously some unique background and experiences and ensembles that you've been in uh, that we'll get into later. But as always, we want to give you the the kind of opportunity just to explain how you got into music or drums in general, um, kind of your path, and we'll catch up and along the way, just kind of riff off of that. So take it away, man. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, with I guess the beginning of my like drumming career, it was all like just drum set and uh, you know Blink One Eighty Two and Sum Forty One, just like learning all the all the <laughs> tracks, yeah. beating the crap out of the drums. And I guess there came came a point where, where my mom was just a little a little annoyed at it, and she was like, you know what, this kid's gonna get good at drums. So she scheduled this drum lesson for me, and uh, the incentive was a drive to the skate park because I really wanted to go to the skate park like a bunch of miles away. She's like, I'll take you only if you go to this drum lesson on Thursday. And I was like, so bummed. I was like, whatever, you know. Uh, I went there and it was phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, there are two drum sets in the room, a bunch of pads and like the rudiment sheet up on the, on the wall. And from the very beginning, man, my first drum teacher, Matt Lewis, he really set me up to um, understand the fundamentals and appreciate them. You know, we literally worked through the top 40 rudiments and he had like a creative lesson plan for each one. Um, and, you know, moving closer to high school, I was getting, you know, closer to that age. And he was actually friends with the Quatec at my high school. So they found out that I was interested um, and I was going to be enrolled at that high school because my grandparents were custodians at that high school. So yeah. I, I could have gone to, you know, the public school in my town which had like a really small music program, no marching band, but I was really lucky to be able to go to this private Catholic school with a great marching program. Um, you what know, was the name parents, of that school? Immaculata High School. Immaculata, that's yeah. a mouthful. And uh, it was it was an amazing program, and all the teachers there were, were super motivated and inspiring, um, and you know, I was really set up from the start. So I got private lessons from Neil in the summer leading up to the audition and uh, you know I actually made quads freshman year I think I was like one of the only ones or the only one to do that and I was Dude, like how tall were you your freshman year like there's okay. no way so I was gonna I said it even <laughs> carried quads have enough drums so they like had older like sets from like the 90s and they like Frankenstein to set for me and like the one <laughs> drum seven and a half inches out from the spot and like the two was like a little further that way and like the connector pieces were PVC pipe Go get some brackets from Lowe's, and oh, here we man. go. <laughs> so hit up Lone Star, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I, I came to really like get attached to obviously the program because it was so. We had like a huge drum line uh, that year. My freshman year, we won Group Six National Champions uh, percussion, so we got like third overall. But we actually like won the overall score for percussion, which was awesome. And just nice. that experience alone was like super motivating. And then the next group year, six mean like is it divided by like size, band size or something? Yeah, and that's the largest size. So it was like we were competing against some really good bands, and even like some of the group four or five bands, like Dartmouth. Dartmouth was in there, um, Cheshire. I, I forget the name of it, but um, some really awesome programs, and we ended up getting the highest score, which is like kind of crazy. That's awesome. Uh, and then in 07, I. I practice my butt off to be section leader and you know it was the same three guys us us quads 
uh, for <laughs> two years. You know, and my we literally became best friends and were nonstop drumming. Uh, that year, you know, Phantom came to my school to rehearse, and I just completely fell in love with drum corps. You know, watching that drum line. Literally. I believe in another you in another interview you said it was Phantom 07, right? Phantom 07, yeah. Dude, that's probably I've said this before. That's probably like the best example I could give someone of what I would want a battery to be tuned like all 100%. around. 100%. And <laughs> like, like every time I watch those videos or remember seeing that, I was just like, this sounds amazing. That's a bold yeah. statement. I'm gonna have to go back and check those out. It's been a while. Yes, there are some like CD quality recordings out there of that line, but dude, yeah. in the concrete there. Yes. It's just Dude. so sick. But imagine, you know, being a complete fanboy of drum corps, you know, I'm like raring to go and they show up at my high school 9 a.m. and I'm there like sitting Indian style, just like mouth open every second of the day. Like I watched them rehearse all day and the next day they went to Giant Stadium and got, got to see him perform at Giant Stadium. Um, and I was completely hooked after that. Um, yeah. Dude, yeah. that used to be such a great show. It was at Meadowlands before they... Yeah. Yeah, dude, that was such a fun stadium to perform in. I know, I know. And even like in Rip. high school, there was all that, like the Yamaha Cup hype and all that stuff. And you know, <laughs> fans, it was like all the allure in the world. Um, but yeah, so that next year, I really, really dug my heels in and tried to max it out, you know, for the high school band. And before a show, I was always watching Neil like tune and drum on the drums. And you know, he was like, hey, I got some time. You want to learn this lick? And he taught me the United 2008 quad break. So he, Neil was marching United at the time in 2008 and 2009. And he taught me this thing. And it was like, hey, you should totally go audition. Like, you should, <laughs> uh, so like a junior, junior year. in high school or something? Yeah, I was a junior in high school. So, so yeah, that, the end of that year, I auditioned. Um, or I guess the beginning of my senior year, I auditioned. And yeah, I marched United 2009 and 2010. And after- Dude, those were some pretty good groups. I actually went back when I was doing some like research on you and started watching some of the videos. Yeah. Of course, it's funny anytime you go back and look at just some of the design of those shows and how far it's come in the last decade. But man, those kids could play. Like, I was like, oh, there's Eric Carr and like a bunch of other dudes that we know T Gas, Travis, Dan yeah. Shag in the snare line. Dan wearing a hoodie that's like two sizes too small that's pink and fluorescent. <laughs> I, actually, I remember yeah. that. That was, that was really an awesome experience, man. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, <clears throat> like you said, you know, the show design, it was just like, what, what can we fit in this musical phrase? You know, all the flares, all the, uh, all this, all the vocabulary in the world, but. Maybe not the most tasteful, but it was like really challenging and difficult to play uh, accurately, especially at that level. You know, it, being in high school and then showing up at United, it was just the first full ensemble rep. I was just, whoa, what is happening? Like Whole we're all world. we're all in time right now, and we're all <laughs> driving, and we're all like playing clean first rep. Like this is crazy. Yeah, so, I'm sure that's just like pretty crazy as a high schooler to be competing in independent world. I mean, that's. That's a pretty large jump and like yeah. a standard of excellence that's you're you're going to. So, so I, I was really lucky in that I got to experience that experience that adrenaline and that um, love for performing. And you know, I wanted to do drum corps, and I auditioned at Jersey Surf, and I made it, but I was not ready physically, and I injured myself a couple <laughs> weeks into spring training, and ended up leaving that summer. 
So would 2010, been 2010 summer. That was 2009 summer. Okay. So 2010, I took off, and I think that summer I, I transcribed like literally every single Paul Rennick book from like <laughs> six, oh seven, oh eight. And then that year, 2010, I would like YouTube upload, like what's the latest video, what's the latest video. And I would, I literally transcribed snare, quad, bass part for opener, drum solo, closer in my notebook. In Dang. My I, I was so meticulous about the look of it and everything. And, uh, so did that, you ever show that to Paul or tell him? I told him, I think one time, but it was, <laughs> I still have that notebook and I have like rhythm X licks in there, blue coat slicks, uh, just like all the stuff that intrigued me, like the MCM 2009 snare break. I remember it was really cool. Oh yeah. Um, from the work Requiem show. I just randomly started transcribing a ton. Um, and then, you know, I got to Rutgers, uh, university to study percussion and, there, I actually got a private me- private Facebook message from Matt Penland, who was going to be the section leader at Vanguard in 2011. And he just marched 2009 and 10 at Phantom. And, you know, obviously I was just like, what? This person is Facebook messaging me to go to California? <laughs> Wondering if I'm interested in marching for Paul Rennick? Like, what is happening right now? And apparently <laughs> he reached out to my friend who was marching cadets already. And he was my roommate, so Andrew Urbano, he was like, hey, I have, a, I have a roommate, and he's, like, literally a Paul Rennick freak fanboy and, like, described <laughs> every lick and can play everything that he wrote the last, like, four years. So you should reach out to him. That's probably like, uh, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, right? And then I, uh, yeah, I reached out to my mom. I was like, hey, <clears throat> can you, like, buy me a plane ticket? You know, saying, <laughs> what the heck are you saying? Why? To California. What? Isn't there somewhere closer? Dude, I was thinking about cadets. I was thinking about um, what was the other drum corps I was thinking about? Uh, mainly cadets, but I, I, I think after Maddie reached out to me, I was just like, "Oh, okay, I might actually belong there." So I went there March 2011 and 12, and then um, got injured in 13. I have like decrevins tenosynovitis and carpal tunnel in my right hand, and lost feeling in my arm. I uh, got like really that's not good. Well. No bueno. Yeah, in 2013, so I had to leave. And, you know, at that time, I actually was an undergrad, and I got the job as a director and arranger of the drumline. Uh, that position opened up, and I applied at, for at it. At Rutgers? At Rutgers. So, like, nice. I, ha- I had my one year of experience from Vanguard in 2011, and I just I went into the interview and, and just went for it and got the job. And, you know, I was designing for a Big Ten collegiate drumline, so, you know, there I really kind of honed in my approach to, to writing and, and teaching in my own way. And I guess from there, I got noticed enough to be able to go teach Crossman uh, in the summer of 2014. And then uh, I took some more time after that to kind of focus more on my classical studies. And, um, you know, I, I was really, really invested in Rutgers Drumline at the time. You know, I had some, like, really serious players in that line. Some cadets, some some crown kids, and a bunch of DCA, you know, players that really cared about the activity. So I wanted to hook them up with some really awesome music and, and instruction. So cared a lot about that. And then, uh, you know, leading out of that experience, my last year was 2016. 2017, I got approached to be the caption head and arranger for United Percussion. Um, 
That's so, pretty sick. Is that yeah. like where they just have like a a meeting of the stars aligning, like somebody's going out and like, oh, Paul's like came yeah. through here. He's an alumni of the program. He obviously cares about it. Like we should like how did that kind of happen? Well, honestly, I think it was the work that I did at Rutgers Drumline and at Crossman. You know, I kind of showed that I had the ability to carry out that responsibility. Um, and, you know, Chad Moore, the director, who was teaching and wrote the Esquire. book. Esquire. Esquire. When I, <laughs> yeah, man, when I, uh, when I marched, he was the guy, you know, he was teaching us and writing the book. So, you know, he asked me to come on and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Great learning experience. But I... Also, that summer, I ended up teaching cadets as well. You know, I was at Rutgers Band Camp, and I just got a call from Tom Unks. Like, what? I look at my iPhone, like, Tom Unks. <laughs> Why is he calling me? I have made it. <laughs> Spoken to this man. Uh, <laughs> I ended up going to teach the cadets um, as well. And then, you know, also did Caballeros. So I was writing for all these different groups at once. Um, so I did cadets, cabs, and United. For 17, 18, 19, and then 19, I started writing for Jersey Surf. That was my first summer writing for Surf. Um, and yeah, yeah that, that that is pretty. That's all pretty incredible. Um, I feel like the Rutgers thing, like writing for a drumline like that, that has a mix of like obviously you want some substance, but also just with like some jams. Yes. Would be such a fun experience yeah. to like. All right, I don't have to try to make this like the craziest thing and check all these boxes for this competitive circuit. I can really kind of mess around and make it feel good and make it sound good and make it work yeah, orchestrally man. with like the music as far as like, as far as a, as much from an orchestra standpoint, as like a marching percussion ensemble can, but that seems like a good way to just like transition. Dude, I had so many different scenarios, you know, compositional scenarios, uh, whether it be like the high school band that I was arranging for, or, you know, uh, the cadets quad arounds and some breaks, some snare breaks and stuff like that. Or like, you know, with Rutgers specifically, it was, you know, you have your pregame, like, yeah. And then you have your groovy cadence. Then you have your like stand grooves, offense, defense. Then you have your halftime shows. We did, we did six halftime shows for the whole year, you know, and we did a different show for every home game. And each one was themed so like, you know, we had like a blackout game where everyone wore black and it was all hype. So we, you know, we did like Paint It Black and uh, Jay-Z, the Black Album. So I had all these different Dude, genres. Oh, yeah. That would have been fun to write genres, to. Right. To like compose to. And I guess I learned really through trial and error how to emulate the musical style through orchestration. Like, you know, you're writing to be like a drum set, you know what I mean? In these charts. But you also want it to be intriguing and clever enough for the individual player to want to learn it and be able to learn it um, efficiently. So that was like a really, really great learning experience prior to starting to write at United. Because when I got to United, it was high level virtuosity. But like, you know, you're on the WGI stage now. So everything's got to be musically appropriate, but also kind of progressive in a way. Yeah. So it gave me the, the confidence to be able to compose um what came naturally to me because i was put in so many different scenarios prior to that yeah um, and i'm sure at that point too you'd had i'm sure at that point from just arranging different things you kind of get a 
a feel for what you have in your brain versus how that translates to paper versus how that translates to real life. Yeah. And as how far like, as like they're gonna handle it. Right. And like how they're going to yeah. it. Cause you're, you're, I didn't even figure out how to do the repeat function until my last year at Rutgers. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would make an MP3 file where like every note was labeled at the dynamic and then an aesthetic file where I would just like do the actual repeat symbol in every bar. It was like so tedious <laughs> and I found out that there was a, a function on the keypad that just you could put as a repeat and it played back for you. I was, my mind was blown. Those shortcuts, baby. <laughs> I just became so much more efficient at all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, after all that, I, I ended up um, wanting to kind of pursue uh, a different, a different artistic kind of purpose, um, you know, and, and teach in a different setting with uh my friends and you know have low lo not low pressure but less pressure you know on me i was there was less a lot, responsibility at times there was a lot um on my shoulders at all those groups and um you know i i wanted to kind of see what i can contribute um to someone a group that already has their style established you know and so i ended up going to gmu and um, to crown and join that, that team. And, you know, it's been really cool to kind of see it all come together. Um, and I, I feel like I've had a lot of chances to feel like that full circle, uh, kind of like that meaning back again, back again with these dudes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, like, you started your independent world marching career at United where yeah. Travis and Dan are. And yeah. now here you are teaching with Travis and Dan at GMU and Crown, and you're all just like, hey, what's it's up? funny, like, my first year at United, I was, like, very reserved and very quiet. And, like, you know, I was 15, 16 years old, so I was just kind of hanging with the quads, you know, sleeping over. And the next year, I was like, dude, these guys are cool, man. I'm hanging with the snare drummers, you know? Like, I really, I've made friends with Dan and Travis and, and Tom and all those guys. I went to go stay in Philly, and oh you know, boy, I constantly... I was drumming with them like nonstop. You can the ask goons. Me. It was like, yeah, it was like two snare drummers and Paul, you know, like always, I always just wanted to play with the snares. Cause I loved the interplay. I loved the feeling of like that aggressiveness that they played with that confidence. Um, and I really, I, I gravitated towards that. So yeah, really, really happy that it turned out in the way that, you know, now we're able to go on the other side and, and, you know, dude, I can attest to that. My last year indoor, I stood in between, Dan and Tom. Tom yeah. split the center of the 10 man line with me, and then Dan was on my other side. So I was like, well, gotta have my stuff together. Cause, I know. <laughs> I know, these guys were coming. working, you know, all these places, and uh, they were just so chill and down to earth. And, you know, I think United had its own, its own identity, you know, that like East Coast grit that just like, we're gonna For come sure. out and just. No, they definitely do. Their snare their line forever since I've seen them has always like, I feel like played with a chip on their shoulder a little bit, totally. like the level of aggression, the density of notes written for them, they go after it. And that's something I've yeah. always respected about them. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of like the rundown of like, uh, my first scene kid drum set lesson to, to now, I guess. That's but, a pretty healthy sweet. list of, uh, experience and just like different culture. I don't want to say culture, but, I don't know, perspectives versus like the teaching East Coast, Paul Rinnick, 
um, I guess we'll take that time too to just like back up and kind of like dissect some of these things. So you spent two summers with Vanguard, and I'm sure that <clears throat> a lot of people like wonder like what's going on out there. Like, what's the secret sauce? Like this, that, this, that. I get. I guess just kind of like it's been a little while since 2011, 2012. But what are some things that you noticed that were kind of different about the way that Paul approached things or the way that you guys rehearsed or the way that they talked about the music or the beats or the arounds or that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's it. Can, can I pause you all for a second? Can yeah. we go even earlier than that and just start with the audition process as like oh. a deep dive? Like, is there anything unique they do throughout? I know BD has a pretty unique audition process. Is, is his audition process and the way he runs it kind of just like run of the mill? And yeah, then I, from there, we can go to like technique and rehearsal pr- rehearsal stuff and all that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, for me, it was really, um, well, first of all, that was just an incredibly loaded question. So I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, it was very vague and very... Yeah. But, uh, you know, going out there, I kind of had prepared in that I was ready for the style of music, um, kind of what, you know, he's written over the past couple of years prior to that. Um, so I, I had, you know, I kind of knew what to expect musically. Um, and I knew most of like the exercise program and like maybe what they played. But um, really, it was a completely new experience for me in terms of the audition showing up, you know, literally on the other side of the country alone um, and just kind of being challenged more in terms of the mentality and my musicianship, you know, because a lot of the stuff there is, you know, auditions are kind of by rote where, you know, we'll take a, or he'll take a, you know, simple exercise, flip it, reverse it off the left, change the order and make you engage your mind all while making good sounds and, and fitting into the ensemble, you know, and, and he, I feel like he does a really great job at, you know, setting an expectation uh, musically just by the environment that's set, you know, in the, the rehearsal. I think the rehearsal etiquette and the discipline in those groups, the respect for the process is just there when you show up, you know, he treats you like a pro and you feel like a pro. Um, you know, as far as, the approach to you know the drum and uh, the technique, uh, you know, I get asked this a lot, and I really do feel like it comes down to understanding how motion affects sound and, and how it um, how the player can use kind of movement and the mentality behind the order of, of the music to, to, to make good sounds and to agree on the phrase. I think musicianship and rhythmic integrity, musical direction is like first and foremost, um, you know, in a Paul Rennick drum line. I think your, your understanding of your role in the ensemble and your role in the score, I think is super paramount, you know? Um, and I was just thinking that, well, I've thought that before just because, when I notice Vanguard videos or just rehearsals, it seems like the drum line plays with the pit a lot more than like some other groups that I've been in or watched. Yeah. Uh, not even like just like on a, like we did have percussion ensemble, like when I was at crown, but like we were always like on the move pretty much always. Right. Like we hardly ever arced up behind the pits. Like, all right, let's play this phrase. 
But it seems like Vanguard or Phantom Rennick in general, they do that a lot just to oh, get yeah. that feel of like, this is what the front's doing. Like you guys need to know what's going on. This is what the battery's doing. You guys need to know what's going on. Right. And he'll, he'll literally teach the music as a full ensemble, you know, and you'll, you'll know exactly what, you know, what line, what musical line in the front ensemble you're mimicking or you're supporting or, you know, are you the ostinato to a feature? Are you, um, kind of developing rhythmic interest as this, you know, front ensemble rhythm is being kind of morphed and evolved. Uh, you have an understanding musically of like what your context is in the orchestration so that as the player, you approach the playing like that. There's a certain selflessness to how you play. Um, you know, you're not just going for broke every single, every single note you play, you're not maxing it out. And that was like half of what East I coast. Like, my first year was like, Paul, play softer. Paul, play softer. Why are you playing that release that loud? Paul, play softer. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had no idea that, um, you know, the sticks and, and the motion kind of could do all the work for me. Um, and, you know, I think as far as how, you know, like you said, the, 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 full ensemble rehearsals and everything. Um, I think, you know, I, I can't speak totally to, to why that that's the case, but I think I remember hearing him talk about, you know, being a Broadway set drummer, you know, and you have your book that you know that the music is, the score is set, you know, everyone's playing the same music and you have like a set amount of shows that you got to play, you know, what, what about the performance psychology is going to be able to get you to perform that at the highest level every single time, you know? And I think, um, being able to stay calm, cool, collected and focused for the entirety of the production is why, you know, they do those full ensemble run throughs and those, um, you know, standstill run throughs just so that the performer knows how to pace themselves both, both musically and just emotionally throughout the production, you know, like, can you maintain your level of excellence for 12 minutes? He literally makes you do the run through over and over again to the point where, you know, it, that amount of time is comfortable for you, you know, performing. You're not like doing two counts plus two counts plus two bars. Okay, now A to B. Okay, now A to C. Okay, now the whole thing. Like, you have a lot more understanding of like the continuity of the music and, how you uh, contribute to the energy of the score, you know, throughout. That makes so much sense. Because I, I, I don't know. I've talked to kids too before about if you guys learn to think about things the same way, then you'll start to approach it the same way. And yep. it's going to increase the likelihood that you play it the same way if we're all thinking, all right, this phrase, make sure we're coming in here. Like the hands are feeling like this. We're thinking about this on the brain. And like it's way more of a mental thing just to make sure that you're on the same page. So that, that I mean... It seems so simple, but yet hearing you explain it, it's like, man, you get good at doing run-throughs by doing run-throughs. And like, I, feel- I mean, don't get me wrong, though, man. We would literally go like, okay, on the move, okay, stand still. On the move, on the move, on the move, stand still. On the move, on the move. And it would be, like, incredibly tiring. And uh, he knew how to kind of put the, um, the stamina to the test, you know. Uh, and I feel like when we fixed stuff or when we broke stuff down it was in a smaller more focused context that way when we then applied it to the full run through we had all all of that repetition all of that um retained at a much higher percentage because we're going back to then applying it to a run through we know how to uh 
apply whatever fixes are necessary, you know, to the, to the book. Um, but I think, you know, another, another thing is like everything that is written, everything that is on the page is so musically appropriate. You know, I don't think that there is any scenario in terms of orchestration that Paul Rennick wouldn't be able to compose something clever and appropriate and stylistic within, you know, I think there's, oh, there's, you know, this ability for him to really be able to compose what is musically appropriate and intriguing and clever, um, but all in a way that, you know, generates an emotional response from the audience. You know what I mean? Um, whether it be like building rhythmic interest at the end of the phrase or how, you know, certain colors of the battery ensemble support what's going on with the full core um, everything has yeah. a musical purpose, has intent, you know, and you as a player, you understand that. Um, so, One, you know, that's kind of, all up. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, my bad. Uh, but I was just going to say that just what you were just talking about reminded me of a video. We were talking about 07. Somebody, I think it was actually a, a friend of ours, Dan Schmidt, had taken, and I have these recordings in my Dropbox, but taken those videos of that 07, like, opener drum break closer from yeah. the lot videos and he dubbed them over the horn book to yeah. where you can hear you can hear the horn book but it's way less prominent than the battery book but just to hear it like overlaid and fit you're just like this is just like it's next yep. level so tasty and that's yeah that's, and I, that's sorry, the one man. thing like his like you said his writing fits and is so interesting and that's what i've always appreciated about him as a teacher and an arranger it's, it's just very rarely when watching his groups am i not entertained they could be playing like some of the simplest stuff and, and it's probably why they win a lot because everything's there for a purpose everything interacts really well and intelligently in the right way um and there's very few lulls when you watch even just their lots, like when the front's not even around, just the battery playing. It's, just, it's the interplay between the three battery sections, and it's just. And on a different note, four before we get too far away from now, it, Mike. Four, yeah, four. my bad. But before we get Symbols too far away from bro. it, you mentioned the you all did a crap ton of just run throughs, run throughs, run throughs on the standstill and on the field. That's something. That's like a theme that I'm hearing more and more from people we've talked to on here that were in these super successful groups. You can't get tunnel visioned onto small chunk, small chunk, small chunk, because the reality is the performance is everything. You've got to be able to do it comfortably all the way through. I know Dan said in 2011 at Cavies, they did a million run throughs. I'm pretty sure uh, that's just like a Mike McIntosh thing. I think he did it. I've heard he's, he did it when he was at Bluecoats before that. And, and now yep. you're saying Rennick does a ton of them. I, yeah, I think, you know, I, Eliminating the variables is super important. You know, there are so many individuals in the line. And if you think about, you know, maybe, you know, getting, having a drum tech, you know, really dig into this one role into a flam figure, you know, in a movement and just repping it over and over again and pointing out different things that are wrong with it and what, different things that could go wrong with it. And then, you know, the add it to a phrase uh, in a rehearsal. And then you, you know, add more things to think about. And it's just this, this snowball effect where, you know, you, you get to a point where you apply it to the run and it's like, you know, and snare drummer's thinking about his heights, the snare drummer to his left is thinking about his touch, 
you know, because there, there, there are so many options in terms of what mm-hmm. the yeah. uh, focus could be. And I think in the, in the Renick line, when I marched, it was like, there was one focus, you know, there was one thing to think about and there's, or maybe one or two things like timing and, um, balance and blend. That was it. Right. Like we're not thinking about heights. We're not thinking about, um, I, I, I think it's all very simplified in a way that allows us to, or allows the performer to elevate that level of excellence and not just like try to just get there and achieve it, but they're, they're, they're able to be comfortable in it and then elevate it to a point where it's almost expected and it feels second nature, you know, because the approach to the mindset is simplified and there aren't so many variables uh, to think about when trying to produce this excellence, you know, it's just fitting it. to, the, to the sound. And um, I think that's why they're so successful year in, year out is because I love it so much. I mean, over the years, my uh, I, I grew up with a very probably similar, I don't know, training as you. Um, I idolized the cadets, the early 90s cadets. My instructors were members of that those ensembles or with people that were in those ensembles, etc. And it was just kind of at first, you got to chop out. You got to chop out. You got to get these chops up. You got to blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then as I got older and drummed more and different ensembles and even through my teaching now it's become more about like how does this feel to you what's it sound like i want you to listen to yourself play what do you hear uh because heights are heights are fine i guess but there's no way that paul playing a role on a quad set of quads at hypothetical quote unquote three inches is going to sound the exact same as me playing a role at my three inches on a snare drum, and it's going to be balanced and blended. There's so many variables, like you're talking about, like your the implement that you're playing with, the implement that you're playing on, the like weight of my hands versus the weight of your hands is different. Like this, you're never going to get it if we're both playing exactly three inches, however many millimeters off the head that is. It's not going to be balanced. It's not going to be blended. It's just, it's just not. So, yeah, man. You know, I think what we do as performers and as teachers is so about the experience. It's so experiential that the first thing that's tangible to you is the sound that you produce. You know, when you hit the drum and the person next to you hits the drum and it's exactly at the same time, we all know that feeling, right? That like almost absence of sound, that like uh, vacuum. It's like a vacuum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think like I said, trying to simplify the variables to a point where that is, that's comfortable. And that's, you know, and that's, I I feel like that's also why, you know, a lot of the audition process is by rote and it really challenges your mentality because he wants players that are teachable and that are smart and that can adapt and that can adjust certain really new, uh, really minor nuances about their sound to really uh, maximize the program and like i said it's all working together you know from the design to the instruction the people that he puts in front of them to the tuning of the drums um everything works to elevate that level of excellence you know um and simplify the variables to a point where the performer is completely comfortable um and i i, I really have taken that to heart in my approach to teaching um and to writing i, I feel like um you know, but we're, we're different people. And, and that's one thing I need to learn 
uh, is that I can't teach like Paul Rennick. I can't teach my group exactly like Paul teaches Vanguard because it's it, those those members aren't coming to me for that experience, right? They're coming to me for their own experience, their, their own identity, um, and to try to replicate this artificial Paul Rennick approach, um, you know, may make parts of their playing cleaner, but or their you know uh, approach to musicianship better. But I think as far as the identity of the group, it's it's very about the people you have in front of you, and you have to adapt to that. You know, so take elements of what you've learned from your groups and your experiences and, and try to develop your own approach to education, your own approach to um, to playing and, and to writing, because that's that's what's going to allow you to learn faster, you know, rather than just trying to do it that way. And this is the only way. And, and if we don't do it this way, we're going to be dirty. Like, no, like you have to be open to new new reactions, new experiences and and new members like those members aren't coming to me for like i said like a rennick experience they, they i was just thinking know. that i was like man like if you're not giving them a unique experience and they're just like oh paul's just trying to give us uh like his diet rennick then like why yeah. would i go with paul I'll just go to rennick like exactly but but if you give them something unique and experience that they really love then they'll stay with you right. whatever whatever that is so that makes sense for sure uh one last question I had, I guess, about Vanguard or the Rennick. And this may be an abstract question, too. When I watch a Rennick SCV Phantom quad line, there's a certain flow or smoothness around the drums that yeah. is a little bit different than other ensembles. What percentage of that would you say is the technique they teach you versus the percentage of a product of the arranging and the patterns? Ooh, okay, that's a good question. I think... As far as the teaching of that sort of fluidity, um, mm -hmm. I think it, that was developed over time. Like there has been a culture of quad drumming in rennet groups that has strengthened from you know the early VK days, you know where they had seven quads to you know, Carolina <laughs> yeah. Crown, Carolina Crown, where Nick Worth was a section leader. I don't know if you guys know of Nick Worth, but he definitely should. He's from uh, Texas, right? I believe so, or Portland. I think he lives out there, Seattle. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. But he was instrumental in my um, upbringing because all the rhythm of conscience stuff and the movement of mentality, quad method books, um, they really, uh, that culture of efficiency of motion and connected smooth sounds has kind of been developed over time and strengthened. And I think there's a certain respect for that tradition. Um, and I think, you know, the, the writing really lends itself to those connected smooth motions you know i think every note leads to the next like i said every note has purpose um and in terms of what drums you're playing when it's all about voice leading it's all about um you know musical direction like i said so you know the quads are tuned in a way that has like this feeling of of resolve you know like you lead a phrase on the one two three 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 and four like four is the resolve and i think there are certain ways to write um with the four pitches that have a sort of feel of a harmonic progression right so if you kind of do a groove on three or, or kind of play on the three and the two that is tuned to like a minor second and then like a minor sort of feel right because normally the pitches are like a minor third between the bottom two drums and then that bottom drum kind of feels like or the one drum 
they both feel like a tonic, like something that's stable, you know, pitch wise. So like you're uh, getting like the down or like going up the. Yeah, everything, everything is, and, and quads are so uh, melodic that, you know, you can mimic so many different melodies and um, you can provide this sense of harmonic progression through how you orchestrate the arounds. Um, and I think he does an excellent job of that. And I think he, you know, there are certain times where he may allow uh, one of the texts to like, you know, maybe adjust something to make it a little bit more current and virtuosic, but, uh, you know, not in a way that I think his text, uh, it's never in a way that takes away from the musical intent, right? It's like he, uh, I remember watching a video, uh, an interview for uh, this YouTube video that just came out, this interview of Paul Rennick, and he said, you know, uh, He's like, yeah, you kind of get what I what I was trying to go for there, right? Like, yeah, everything <laughs> that like, he he writes has purpose, and the text or whoever's like icing up that that quad feature knows exactly what he wanted, you know, and may just adjust one or two things to kind of bring out that fluidity, that kind of flash of the sweeps or crossovers or whatever. But I think it all comes down to uh, musical direction and purpose, and using the pitches of the drums to develop that interest and maintain a certain level of like momentum in the music and you know each drum each pitch has uh, a feeling to it right this certain feeling that it evokes like you know you think about everything played on the two drum that's like the stock drum and then like what it what it sounds like when it when you go two to three it's a it's a smaller interval pitch wise versus two to four which is a perfect fourth and it has a lot more resolution so, like, musically, you can use the pitches to have that feel of harmonic progression and um, really bring out a sense of, of direction, more so than just, like, okay, what's a cool quad pattern, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> that's what pretty, I'm basically, you know, I love it. What I'm getting from this is that I am way more musically ignorant than I thought I was. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. But that, I mean, I, I follow. The nuance. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just a I'm a very I'm a math brained person, so like I'm all about like like the <laughs> regimentedness of rudimental drumming and like Dude, I, I playing the right heights and so many snare drummers all over the place. Everybody I teach with are snare drummers. So anyone I talk to about this stuff is like, Well, okay, cool, quads. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really cool. So um, I think let's let's move this to so you did all the Vanguard stuff and that was super interesting first off to hear a, like just a deep dive some of the way you said some of that i'm going to look i'm looking forward to editing this episode so i can re-listen to all this and get even more out of it but so you said you taught you went and talked for tom monks at the cadets in 17 18 19 so that to me when i look at a like i marched for tom uh, a decade ago now which is terrifying to say but I, I look at a rennick line and watch a video for two minutes and then i go look at an unks line and there's a lot of differences. Obviously, Unks is more of that East Coast hit the drum hard, like play aggressive and forceful, and like it's not a poundy over aggressive, but it's just a loud volume density of notes. And so, can you kind of take a minute and just let's talk about your experience teaching for Tom? Because obviously, I've never done that. I've just marched for him for one summer, and then we'll go from there into kind of contrasting the differences between the two guys and how they approach the activity. Totally. Um... Yeah, it was cool being, you know, kind of thrown into that situation. I ended up being able to teach the full battery a lot of that summer. 
and you know even all the way towards the end it, it was like it was really really rewarding to be able to teach alongside of him that summer because he trusted me a lot to uh, instruct the full percussion section as well as even go into like writing the quad rounds and uh, I had a lot of influence on the instruction the day-to-day instruction I think I took like literally one day off that summer Oof, grinding it out. Oh, yeah, man. I, I loved it. It was like driving a Ferrari, you know? Like, <laughs> that first year of Unks is back, those notes that we had to clean. Oh, that book was that, that's awesome. 17, right? Yeah, man. That Dude, that was, great was, was that the so uh, Was that the Bernstein show? Uh, the Mass? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Andrew Kane. Andrew Kane. Shout out. Uh, Marine. What up? Like, dude, yeah. It's, uh, it was really, really awesome, man. That, that, whole experience uh i learned so much about just the process trusting the process uh and he's very targeted in his approach to rehearsal like he'll he'll do a certain set amount of counts and he'll add on a set and he'll add on a set and it's fun i'm glad you i'm glad you said that because one of the big things it's funny when you were talking about rennick about big run-throughs massive chunks and like Angst is like the polar opposite of that. Like I have, I have nightmares still of blocks where he would come out Again. with his shirt off and literally the text would throw a tennis ball back and forth and he would just run battery ensemble and it was, all right, start one set. All right, reset, add a set, guys. Reset, reset add a set. Yeah. Like, and he would do that until you're doing like 15 sets and eventually the chunks get big, but it's very like little piece by little piece by little piece to build up to the big piece. And yeah. it's a very different yeah. kind of approach from what, if I've understood what you were saying about Paul earlier. Correctly. Yeah, I think there's there's more emphasis on um, building like proficiency through dexterity and through just um, getting more repetitions on it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's in its own merit that works and has worked for so many years, you know. Um, but that, the, you know, the activity is evolving and, and he knows that. Unks knows that. And he's, oh, for sure. He writes differently and teaches differently and like I said, he kind of let me teach a little bit more in 17 and um, 18, maybe a little less. I had a little bit more going on in my life during that summer and didn't just take one day off. I took more time off. And, uh, <laughs> Probably I was, healthy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was more involved with uh, Caballeros and had to do like a bunch of design there with like the body work and all that stuff. Uh, so I, I did like a week or two with them and then with my high school and then went back and forth in 18 uh and then 19 man it was it was really really awesome teaching those quads again like the same quad line from 2008 all five came back right all five came back that's um, nuts you know dream it's a dream yeah, team yeah yep. man autonomous completely like ridiculous um but you know i think um that summer it was actually cool i got to write a little bit more of the book i was interested to kind of do a little bit of the snare and bass stuff along with like you know, a blank slate of a quad feature and a bunch of stuff. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really awesome to be able to contribute to the design that summer, this past summer, uh, or I guess two summers ago. Yeah. Two summers. I, now. I don't know what we call it yet. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Is it it's all good. The well, most recent season. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, 19, it was like me in that quad line. I was, you know, I wasn't really teaching the full battery that much anymore um i was just doing the quads and 
you know, I think for me, like that summer, this, that 19 summer was really, um, really special to me and just seeing how much those quads trusted me and how much, uh, you know, how much meaning they brought to every rehearsal. Um, and, and I they think, were nasty. Yeah, it was, it was really insane. Fun. Uh, thank you. But, um, yeah, as far as like the differences between Tom and Paul, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. Um, <laughs> but like I said, I think there, I think there's a little bit more of a micro detailing going on, uh, from Tom's perspective. Uh, but like I said, like the writing is completely different. So like mm-hmm. how to clean an unks book is probably a lot different. To, exactly. It's so much different. You have to take the time to develop the technique and the heights and all that stuff. Like I said, like it's trusting the process and trusting the system that Tom has in his head. Um, you I th- know, I think that's probably just too like, although Paul was at Phantom, your experience was at Vanguard and the difference of like, what you would consider like traditional cadets music versus traditional vanguard music is also so different so the requirements of an arrangement standpoint are going to be naturally much different uh i mean a lot of cadets music historically has been like just kind of like run and gun like nose to the grindstone meanwhile vanguard is doing ballets and this and like shots i mean it's just different yeah, I, I think the Tom does a good job of of um, you know being musical in a, in a full ensemble context, but I think there is a lot more focus of like the the technical, the mechanical side of it, like what the rudiments are, mm-hmm. how like Very how the so. rhythm fits into the phrase, and uh, you know the density of notes um, is a lot more physical. He talks a lot about that physical nature of it, the energy you need. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, so he said that on here with us. He's like, yeah, I just want to like kick them in the teeth. Like, yeah, <laughs> like uh, I want the music like the to thing. hit the audience. Um, and I think Paul is, is, uh, is very clever in how he generates those emotions. It's not just like, you know, that both of them are very effective. You know, one's like just in your face. Here's the idea. It's either good or bad. And the other is like, kind of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make you think about this. I'm going to make you appreciate it. Um, a little bit more, in depth and you know i think both of them have their their merit and that's that's why they're both very much hall of famers famers, man yeah like uh they they have their their style and they stick to it and i respect that you know i I really do i look up to that um i learned very much how to uh structure rehearsal from tom Uh, i think just how to increase their dexterity and their marching and maneuvering while playing this stuff, I think is is very apparent in how Tom builds the line. You know, um, do a lot of like check patterns and stuff, and uh, it's it's a very technical, physical process versus the the musical mentality. And it's you know it, it you can see it in the product. You know, you can see uh, what's Absolutely. effective about both, and what's successful, and what's maybe not so successful, and. I think it all comes into fruition and in how um, how the the program is set, you know, how the the design is set first and foremost, how the the pedagogy and the teaching supports that, and how you know it all kind of comes together in the end. I think it's 
I think it's really cool to see how both of them are doing it, you know, this stage in the game right now. Interesting. I also think yeah. that you nailed that question. Yes, so, I think uh, that's going to be. I'm, I'm definitely going to clip that whole phrase <laughs> and make it a clip video on YouTube because it's great, extremely <laughs> well said. Um, I have one that more drum corps related question, kind of uh, like a not satirical, but like kind of joke question. But do you think <laughs> Rennick is ever going to bite the bullet and start doing all the body that the rest of the groups do now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's one. Maybe thing. not until he has to. Yeah, I mean, he's won four years in a row, so does he need to? But there, I, I remember hearing a story of like Phantom 08. Like there are winning drums, winning drums, winning drums. San Antonio Regional comes around and they're like fourth or fifth. And like, oh. why? Like, what the heck happened? And it's like, oh, it's because this group is doing body. So he literally <laughs> put like a plie like lift the left foot, come back down, doom, 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 step off, and boom, they have the body, and they win, right? So he does he like the minimal to... amount you can, like the very <laughs> I, minimal. The one thing I do enjoy about how he uses the choreography is it's very specific to the musical phrase, and it, it's, you know, um, I think it's, it, it might not be as... Uh, technically difficult or technically difficult but it's specific to that show you know mm-hmm. uh, some stuff in the 18 show is really you know it was musically appropriate that a little like kind of uh i don't even know how to describe it right it's like <laughs> if you think about how, like what uh you know crown bd do versus what vanguard does there's like i said there's so much more emphasis on the musical uh integrity that you know Anything that comes in the way of that is is going to be um, is going to take away from that experience that he wants to generate. So I think well, I think it's the body it's proof that you just don't need it right yeah. now. Yeah, if he's right. won four he's, years in a row, he respects the, the the progression of the activity. So he do, he will find those moments, those feature moments. You see those subsection moments where there is body, right? And there it's it's either split in the way the parts split or has a certain uh, flow and movement that emulates the phrase of the music, right? But it's not like a contrived but like sequence of body that has that makes the, the part like much harder, right? It just makes it a lot better to, to express yourself um, appropriately musically um, because it doesn't get in the way. Um, I think some groups are doing a really good job of that, you know, but still like going the step further and, and progressing that that level of choreography mm-hmm. um and some groups are doing way too much <laughs> exactly some groups yeah. are just putting all their chips into that hand and it's taking away from that experience taking away from the the clarity and the transparency um but it's effective in its own right you know it's it's cool and it's intriguing and, and visually it may add to the program more so that their effect score goes up you know like i think of crossman 19 you know like did they <laughs> All that tribal stuff. I was just yeah, thinking. But, you know, it, it was cool to, to see how it all came together in the show. You know, it was like it, it added a lot. And like the beast stuff for Crown, too. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I think all of that expressive kind of um, movement that they did really added and enhanced that idea of the, the beast, you know. So um, it can really do uh, a lot for the effect of the program and the music. Um, and I think, you know, Paul Rennick respects that progression. Um, but he, I don't think he'll ever get to the point where it gets in the way of the integrity of the music. They're uh, probably not going to do the moonwalk. That's for sure. No, the no. moonwalk, dude, that was crazy. With all it those, was sick, but I was like, that is hard. Yeah. 
don't play about that drummer on BD. Well, <laughs> before we we've been going for about an hour before we wrap this up, we have to ask about a couple things that Evan found that I just have to know how it ended up happening. The first, did you play snare drum for a Victoria's secret fashion show or like (laughs) some, okay. So 2013, like I said, I was the director and arranger of the Rutgers drum line. Uh And, uh, I guess the band director's wife had a lot of connections in the city. Um, and they would, you know, Rutgers was the closest state college marching band. So we actually got a lot of gigs through that, and they needed a drum line for the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show in 2013. So oh, I guess they uh, <laughs> twist it was, my arm, uh, dude. It was what was the band? Um, I forget the band. Ah oh, man, who was the band? Fuck. <laughs> Hold on, for two, I'll I'll, go, I'll 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 Google it real quick. All right, 2013. While, he's go- while he's googling that, the other thing. Um. No, yeah, but I'll I'll speak to that point for a second. I I think uh, I actually designed that stuff. So like, they, um, I don't know if it was Panic at the Disco or one one band basically had a song that was really popular and they wanted a drumline militaristic feel to it. Um, and I wrote this thing, and we rehearsed it, and we showed up to the gig, and it was like completely not gonna work. You know the. Run- <laughs> like, way too uh way too tiny and we basically went like downstairs and redesigned the whole thing on the fly just took like two bars of this two bars of this theme and just made it fit and uh i was actually part of that drum line so like i I wrote it and designed it with the guy but then i like i was a snare drummer in it so uh was it fallout boy it was fallout boy yeah (laughs) fallout boy and i also met taylor swift uh it was like kind of absurd like uh, <laughs> and like we it was like a small college drum line but we were dressed in this like british military garb and we had like the makeup done and all the night and uh it was kind of crazy that you know we had this whole thing designed but then had to like scrap it all and just rewrite something that audible was, audible <laughs> yeah complete audible but that was yeah, uh-huh. that, was, that was a fun experience man Fallout Boy was like literally behind us jamming, and we had to like do this like march out, play, turn, back stick on each other's drums, turn, back out, you're done, you know. Um, and I, you can actually see it for like the first like three seconds if you like Google or I'm YouTube. Gonna YouTube it. I was going to say, I'm, when we're done here, I'm going to YouTube this first just to watch you, Paul. Nothing else. <laughs> it was like, thank you. It was like this 45 second minute thing that we had we were all stressing about but like literally was not shown at all on the final product you know <laughs> like, it was more for like the people the big wigs in the audience there um, oh you were there that, yeah that was that was a high it happened so cool. all right evan what was the other really cool thing you found the other thing uh it said that uh you played on the wu-tang album yeah. wu-tang yeah. clan wu-tang 40th, 40th street, street black. black and i uh it was the same kind of deal, like the Rutgers connection. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I met Riza and uh, Dude, that it is was sick. like William Wells. We went into Electric Lady Studios. We got paid to, you know, play this really simple chart. It was one. It was written by this like tuba player. <laughs> so we literally like played it and then one person like just played the whole thing over it like on a drum set snare and then we all like there's like this like chorus at the end we will fight da, 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 something and we all sang 
like in this. So I have like vocal credit and a drum credit on this chart. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, that was cool too, man. That was all those Rutgers gigs were super fun, man. Like we we did uh, um, this like news, Good Morning America kind of thing. Uh, it was like you didn't get hit by an axe, did you? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the ignorance, man. Just Is there something over. that I've missed? What happened? Dude, Jeff Prosper got hit by an axe on like Good Morning America or something or Today Show. Was it Today Show? I, I think know. that does ring a bell now that you say he got that. hit by it. I think there's still like a lawsuit going out or something I, about I it. I am just. What was the axe from? I was. They they had like this target practice thing, like pointed at the three Hellcat drummers. Like, how stupid could you get? I mean, the dude on the one of the, I guess, the host or whatever. It was kind of like a battle axe thing, but he went to throw it and he threw it over the target and it hit like Prosper in the arm. Oh my <laughs> yeah, god! Not not okay, man. Drummers Yikes. need those. Thankfully, none of those experiences. No. Yeah. Fair. No. Oh man. No. Well, this has been this That's has been awesome. Sick. You got anything else you guys want to talk about? Bueller, um, crickets, chirp. I don't know. You got anything new coming up? I know you were supposed to be. I know you're with GMU now. We're supposed to be on tour yeah. with Crown. Any other new, exciting like adventures headed your way? Well, I think um, you know as far as that, the Crown and GMU stuff, all the virtual stuff is is really fun to you know just find that sense of community and engagement again. You know, I'm doing this eight part instructional series with gmu this off-season program this like kind of curriculum thing um you know i've been recording that there's like eight of those and doing some personal videos some edu- some like personal lessons and maybe some like tuning stuff um but same with crown we're kind of doing the same thing where we're doing like these breakdowns these videos um and uh yeah i mean right now it's just trying to find that sense of community and that mm-hmm. Uh, connection you know um but yeah that's right now I'm, I'm i'm really just looking forward to you know being able to adapt to this whole situation and uh you know be a part of the activity again for whenever sure that comes back you know um i know you wrote some uh some concert snare solos right the rudker solos yeah man any uh, more of that you're getting definitely check that stuff out uh joseph joseph tompkins he was my teacher at Rutgers. He um, composed these like French American rudimental solos um, that are like a blend of French and American snare drumming, um, and that was like my compositional influence. So like, did a lot of that stuff. And uh, I saw they were actually on like the playlist for Texas. Yeah, that was really Texas cool. Texas Level yeah. One. I saw yeah. that on the JW Pepper site. I was like, oh, nice. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's it's been fun to to work around that. that that challenge of like composing for a different genre, you know, making, making a uh, singular pitch sound melodic and musical, I think is really cool. You know, I, I love the addition to technology with that stuff that's come about. Yeah. The, Whether the, it's concert the, snare drum or any type of solo piece playing with like a backing track or some yeah. other ambient sound or like lo-fi music or whatever it is. I think I was like, man, this just enhances. I feel like what you're able to hear from the composer's mind. It's like, oh, I actually had all these other sounds in my head, but what I was writing for is a snare drum. So now I can actually allow you to hear yeah. what this other influence is. Yeah, you should check out "Stop Speaking." Do you know that solo by? Andy I do not. Keith? Stop mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah, "Stop Speaking" is a really cool uh, music for snare drum and tape solo. Um, 
where it's like, uh, you know, the old school, like Apple, uh, voice kind of like Siri feel. And like, it's like, <laughs> uh, it, it's really, really cool to see how rhythmically it's, it's, um, you know, supporting the, the tape, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I totally dig that stuff too, man. But I'm have to check thanks for, thanks for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate it. This has been really fun to kind of, uh, reflect on all those great band memories that I'm hoping to happen again soon. But yeah, all yeah of if us nothing are hoping. else, it's at least an opportunity for us to all three just kind of like talk, like yeah. shop and like be like, oh, there's other people out there. <laughs> they do exist. <laughs> no, but I, right. I do appreciate it, man. No, it's for been sure. great. But uh, let's close this out. So thanks everyone for sticking around, listening to this episode. Uh, we appreciate you as a part of our audience. Hit subscribe on YouTube once again. Like the video if you enjoyed it. Share it. That is the biggest way you can support us is share the content that you like with anybody else on your social network that you think might enjoy it. Subscribe on the podcast services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Facebook, Instagram for updates, patreon.com slash podcast for financial blah, for financial support. Uh, once again, check out LoneStarPercussion.com. Use the code AGEDOUT to save 10 bucks on any order of $50 or more. Get some sticks. Get, get that pad you've been eyeing for a while. Whatever you need. Symbol, drum heads, they'll hook you up. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. Peace.